0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 9 this morning. Proverbs chapter 9. If I remember how to preach, we'll see, it's been a whole week already. We'll see. Appreciate the time away and 25th wedding anniversary. We decided to do another 25 years, so we'll see what happens in the second half. Even a third set of 25. We could do a 75th anniversary at some point and still be under a hundred, maybe. I would be. All right. Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine, she has set her table, she has sent out her maidens, she calls. And uh, this description is so wonderful, and uh, we've we've already gone through it. We're going to come through it again, really, a second time, because the contrast with uh, the woman of folly. We have Lady Wisdom to start the chapter, and then we have the woman of folly, the loudmouth, the boisterous, Uh, in verse 13 and following, all right? And she is a complete contrast to Lady Wisdom. And you'll note, uh, whereas Lady Wisdom has all these achievements, what what is it she's done? She's built her house, she's hewn out her seven pillars, she's prepared her food, she's mixed her wine, she's set her table, she's sent out her maidens, she's called. Seven activities of Lady Wisdom. What are the activities of The harlot. The woman of folly, well, hmm, she sits there <laughs> and uh, she calls out, all right? She sits there and she calls out. And uh, even when she's calling out in a sad replication, in a sad imitation, in a, in a sad facsimile of, uh, of Lady Wisdom, it, uh, there's some things that seem similar. She calls out to the naive Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. That sounds like the invitation Lady Wisdom is giving. Not so. All right? Not so. It's not based upon the unconditional love, the sacrificial work, all the preparation the Lady Wisdom has done to prepare a place for the naive to turn in. And uh, we'll discuss that as we get to this. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the core of her message is, oh, come on, it'll be fun. <laughs> That's all she has to offer is fun, and how it's sweet, and how it's pleasant, and uh, it's exciting, of course, because it's stolen, ooh, you know, and then it's eaten in secret, meaning we've got to kind of be shifty about how we sneak around and do these things, all right? And that only makes it more fun, you know, the thrill oh. of the excitement of, of not getting caught, all right? Well... If you're in the will of God, there's no need to sneak around. And that's the point. And the blessings of serving Lady Wisdom and rejecting uh, the woman of folly is uh, what the point this chapter makes, to bring parental wisdom to a close. All right? Well, before we get started this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ask God the Father to set aside distractions to humble us under the authority of doctrine, shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. Father, we thank you for this grace provision. We pray for Doug. We pray for other folks that would want to be here and cannot be here. Father, ask for you to restore their health. Uh, Father, provide and provide abundantly. I thank you for your faithfulness day by day, moment by moment, Father, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So, Father, we call upon your faithfulness this hour. Set aside distractions. Take every thought captive. Bless the teaching of your word on this day, Father. We need your truth, and I thank you for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, in the uh, outline of this point, we saw how chapter 9 serves to recap and conclude There's there's very little that's that's flat out new in this chapter. Everything in this chapter, we can point to something previously to say, well, haven't we already dealt with that? Haven't we already dealt with that? And it's true. I think maybe the only thing that's purely new in this chapter is the idea of seven pillars, the idea of the house that uh, that wisdom has built. But chapter 9 recaps and concludes the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. Chapters 1 through 9 is a unit, and we're on the verge of completing that unit, either today or next week, I suspect. We can wrap up these nine chapters, and we'll get ready for chapter 10, which reintroduces the whole book. If you glance down at Proverbs 10.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, we've got a new heading, a new introduction to the book. And chapters 10 through 24 forms the second segment of, uh, of the book of Proverbs. And chapter 25, we'll reboot it again. In chapter 25, we start all over again with the Proverbs of Solomon that were collected in the days of Hezekiah. And that collection from 25 and following was added to the canon centuries later after uh, after Solomon was long dead. Different aspects there. And of course, it's still part of the canon. The Holy Spirit oversees all of the compilation of the text. And we don't have any problem with that. Anyway, so we have a recap. Wisdom and folly are contrasted. Also, the scoffing scoffer is spotlighted, and we've been dealing with these issues here. The seven-pillared house, we took a lot of time to outline that for you in under point two. The seven-pillared house illustrates the delight that Jesus Christ has for the sons of men, and the delight that Jesus Christ has in preparing dwelling places for them. All right, It's about our eternal dwelling, where we are in Christ. And um, the different functions of pillars, Really, the meat of this point is to examine the invitation because she sends out her maidens and she calls and she has the cooperative effort effort of these maidens, of these virgins. That's what a maiden is. These assistants to her. And uh, the invitation, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And and it sounds similar to what the woman of folly is saying, but it's, it's totally the opposite. Same words, opposite intent, all right? Uh, Turn in here because everything has been done, the work has been achieved, there is grace that is being offered on a faith acceptance basis. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. I have made complete provision for your need. All right. And she doesn't say, Hey, it's going to be fun. We're going to fornicate and have a great time. She says, I have prepared a meal. Here is the food. Here is the wine. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. And so, going through these verses, verses 5 and 6, we see the grace invitation. The invitation must be volitionally accepted. And this verb to sewer, this verb to turn in, indicates that they are not heading that direction. The, they must volitionally be accepted as the naive turns in to enter wisdom's palace. Nobody on their own is going to stumble into eternal life. You have to respond to an invitation. You have to turn and you have to enter in to the, to the, to the venue that's being uh, manifest as the invitation comes forth. And so these principles become significant uh, as, as the metaphor speaks of our lost position in Adam and the hopelessness of the total depravity. Nobody is just going to stumble into eternal life. And, uh, but in response to the invitation, whosoever will may come. And there's the, the blessing there. We'll have some more to say about that as well because I think the, 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 the idea of turning into the harlot's house as well uh, has an emphasis because she is sitting at the doorway of her house and she is calling to those who pass by. And they are in the process of passing by. They are not on the way to her house when she calls and she redirects them to come into her house. And I think that there's a a point of emphasis to be made there as well as far as who the harlot is targeting in in her uh, lustful invitation we'll talk to that as well she's calling to those who pass by who are making their path straight whoever is naive let him turn in here same language let him turn in here and and so there's a call that's going forth to come in you know to uh my parlor said the spider to the to the fly right and uh there's a a um an invitation to turn in particular to those that would not otherwise be headed there Okay. And we have to discuss that nature as well. What is the nature of temptation? What is the nature of uh, the unstable woman and the next victim that she has picked out for herself? And why it is that she picks out the ones that she picks out in, uh, in that predatory um, kind of way. All right. So we'll deal with that as well. Uh, wisdom's invitation is a grace invitation. Again, we're just spelling out the review of where we've been dealing with and uh, it must be volitionally accepted the metaphor of eating and drinking this equates to the volitional response by faith not only here throughout the scriptures throughout proverbs throughout isaiah throughout the old testament throughout the new testament good examples there in, uh, in uh, isaiah 55 uh, that ho, oh, let him who thirst come and and drink in isaiah 55 also in john 6 the the bread of heaven message that Jesus delivers about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Eating and drinking is a metaphor that represents faith. The reality is faith. You believe in the promise. You believe in God and what he's offering. And when you accept what he's freely offering by faith, when you trust him for it, then you are accepting on the conditions that he determines the uh, the the mechanism that's necessary to to make it happen. All right, just because he's offering it doesn't make it happen. Just because he died for the unbeliever doesn't save that unbeliever. The unbeliever must trust him for that eternal life. There is the offer that's made; it's a gift that's freely given. It must be freely received. It must be accepted. See, and that's the difference between unconditional atonement where he dies for everybody, but then the limited application of that atonement, only those who believe in Jesus Christ receive eternal life and, uh, and issues there. And this is, by the way, not at all controversial except for the Calvinist view, which holds to the limited atonement, that Jesus did not die for the, uh, for the unbeliever. He only died for the elect, and that's the Calvinist view, the limited atonement view, which I don't, I don't preach. I don't believe the Bible preaches, all right? And so this this necessity of the expected response, it is an invitation, and there is an expected response to turn in, to eat, to drink, to respond by faith. All right? And we want to be very clear on that. Then, once we do respond, there is a follow-up, not to get saved, but as a follow-up to our salvation. Step one is to receive life. Step two is to proceed in the Word of God. When somebody partakes of the gospel, we're not done. We don't say, all right, great, glad you're saved, and then move on to the next victim, right? We are going to disciple that new believer. We're going to get them grounded in the word of God. We're going to put them on a path whereby they are abiding in the word of God, whereby they are growing. And so that's why it says here in Proverbs 9, it says, forsake your folly and live. Then it goes on to say, proceed in the way of understanding. Now that you have the life, you're going to proceed in that Christian way of life, in the way of understanding. But we don't preach the life before they have the life. We don't start Bible thumping and preaching at people and yelling at them and trying to get them to change their ways and whatever and quit fornicating and quit doing all the stuff they're doing while they're unbelievers. You might as well tell a dog to quit barking or a cat to quit meowing. That's what they do. All right? So don't preach at the unregenerate. About his unregenerate lifestyle, of course that's his unregenerate lifestyle. Get them saved. Preach the gospel. Once they have eternal life, then take them to step two, that they can proceed in the Word of God. Say, all right, now you have new life in Christ. You have a new father. There's a new standard by which there's expectations in this family. Okay? You know? You, you, uh, you, the youngest of children can learn this. They learn that, hey, guess what? This is our house. These are our rules. This is what's expected of whatever. Okay? Uh, you are a Bolander. You are, you are being raised in the Bolander household. Here are the Bolander expectations. But mom, but dad, wham, 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 whine, 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 and say, you know, I'm over at Billy's house or Freddie's house or my buddy's house and, and, and his mom and dad let Billy do whatever. You know, Billy gets to stay up till midnight. Billy gets to eat chocolate for breakfast. Billy gets to, you know, whatever. None of it's true, but you have these these rumors, these lies, or these stories. This dissatisfaction with the rules in that house. Say, well, that's Billy's house. That's Billy's household. Billy's family. His parents set his rules for his family. You are entrusted to me. God expects me to raise you, and these are my rules. These are my. This is. You see how this works. That's the pattern. And so when you are delivered from the domain of darkness and you're delivered into the kingdom of his beloved son, well, you've got a new house now and new house rules. <laughs> okay? And the new house rules are right here in this Bible. It's a new life you have in Christ. And here's what's expected of you as sons. And guess what? As sons, you come under discipline now that you weren't under before. You're now under the discipline, the loving discipline of God the Father. And you, you line up for his blessing and you line up for his discipline. Alright? And that's what it's about. And the youngest of children can get this. See? And it's the pattern for how we walk in the church age. So step one, obviously, receive life, get saved, but step two is to proceed in the Word of God. And not only do we have that emphasis here in Proverbs nine, six, but I think it's the essence of the Great Commission of Matthew twenty eight, verses nineteen and twenty. The Great Commission doesn't say go get a bunch of people saved, it says make disciples. All right? You want to get them grounded in the Word of God. You want those saved people to be progressing, to be proceeding in the Word of God. And then they'll be disciples. Colossians 1, 9-12. You know, we talked about those chapters that destroy Roman Catholicism this morning. Colossians has a great book for that. Chapter 1 and chapter 2. You get saved and you're growing in the Word of God. 1 Timothy 2, 4 as well. Proceeding in the Word of God. Now, this then takes us to the scoffing scoffer, which is the third development of the chapter, the scoffing scoffer, uh, in this next portion. Let me get to it. Um, Verses 8, no, verses uh, 7, and following here, 7 through 12. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. He who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. And so, right on the heels of this necessity to proceed in the way of understanding, to proceed in the Word of God, comes, I think, a pretty clear declaration that there's a whole crowd of folks that are not in that group. <laughs> there's a whole lot of folks that aren't in your Bible class. They're not proceeding in the Word of God. They don't have time for it, they don't care for it, they reject it utterly. These are the scoffers, all right? And the scoffing scoffer, uh, although he had two previous passing references back in chapter 1 and chapter 3, he receives a more complete address here, verses 7 through 12. And so this forms really a a, a core text that we would use as the basis for a larger study. All right? You want to use your core texts and then bring in the other passing references to supplement that to give the, the added detail. So we have the, the more complete address here. And then we'll have more. Following this core text, we're going to have a total of 10 additional references to the scoffer throughout Proverbs, starting in chapter 10 and taking you down through chapter 24. We'll have 10 additional principles here. All right. Now, did I give you the subpoints on this already? A, B, C, D, E? Just A? A, B, and C. All right. Thank you. I meant to go back and review and I failed to do that. So I've given you A, B, and C. So we've seen the the passing reference in chapter 1 with the trio of naive, scoffer, and fool. Keep that uh, reference in mind, by the way, because that term for fool there um, is going to come back again. That's a masculine adjective. But the feminine of that comes back again when we get to this woman of folly uh, here in verse 13. All right, And so it's uh, it's the masculine in, in Proverbs one twenty two. it's the kassil, the fool there, the casil, We're going to see kissiluth in uh, the woman of folly, coming up in the feminine of that, coming up very quickly here in verse 13. The trio of naive, scoffer, and fool was invited to partake <coughs> of wisdom. And, you know, again, it's an invitation. And if they accept it, great. If they reject it, well, That's on them. And the scoffer will reject it. The scoffer has already rejected it. The scoffer is the one that's so hardened that they're convinced that what you have to offer is ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It's insane. They mock what it is that you and I treasure in terms of the infinite value of the Word of God. And that's the scoffer. All right, And we want no part of that. God, in fact, scoffs at them. And this is the nature of it. The the wisdom of the world thinks that God's wisdom is foolishness. The wisdom of God knows that the world's wisdom is foolishness. And so while all these scoffers are busy scoffing at God, God's scoffing at them. And when it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs, we're dealing with the scoffing of, of God against the scoffers of this world. So the Lord scoffs at scoffers. We saw that in Proverbs 3 and verse 34. Though he scoffs at scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. And this is the proverb, by the way, that gets adapted in the New Testament. When you're dealing with James 4.6 or 1 Peter 5.5, 5, that he's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I think opposed to the proud, okay, that's how the New Testament authors chose to, to paraphrase Proverbs. But that opposition is, is more than just simply opposition. You know, sometimes you can oppose something and you're not really particularly engaged with it. You know, I'm opposed to all kinds of things. I just don't think about them very much. You know, I'm opposed to um, a bunch of stuff, but does it really cross my mind on a daily basis? Do I get all worked up over it? Uh, do I actively get involved in in stopping what's happening? You know, but you say, well, you're opposed to it, aren't you? Well, yeah, philosophically, I'm opposed to to lots of stuff, but. Uh, you know there's a different and so maybe that's just me and i'll freely confess that the idea of god is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble it may be that just being opposed to something uh you know you look at it and you just you, you don't click like on facebook or whatever it's okay i don't like it i don't click it i'm opposed to it all right but um i i think maybe the idea of being opposed to something is just really watered down in in usage in in our usage anyway Um, So going back to Proverbs and seeing the base text out of Proverbs that James and, and Peter are quoting there, not only is he opposed to the proud, he is diametrically opposed. In fact, he is returning like for like in kind. Are you familiar with that expression? Arnold Fruchtenbaum uses that repeatedly. I mean, you can't listen to Three Arnold Fruchtenbaum messages without hearing like for like in kind about ten times probably in those three messages, the like for like in kind meaning in the judgment function of the justice of God, He is returning upon the 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 wickedness He's returning it. That's what double disciplines about, double compound disciplines about. He is scoffing at the scoffers, and that's what we see here, in uh, again Proverbs three thirty four. He scoffs at the scoffers, yet He gives grace To the afflicted, and that's uh, that's a very active opposition, uh, more so I think than the uh, expressions that are found in the New Testament. All right, then this text here, in this text of chapter nine, we have a development, a fundamental development, I believe. This passage explains why a believer may choose to not communicate truth. Why it is that we choose to not speak the truth in love or anything else. We keep our mouth shut because there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. And with these scoffers, with these mockers, with the swine and with the dogs, it is not our time to speak. See, So we must be obedient to the Lord and not speak the truth. Don't say anything. Don't say anything at all. Don't communicate the truth. They don't want to hear it. And so again, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. The consequence for speaking the truth is they turn and attack you. They don't want to hear it. And so you're going to receive dishonor. And all you did was speak the truth. All you did is say, wow, you know, uh, that, that's a sin in the Bible. <laughs> oh, man, get ready for the arrows to hit you. All right. He who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. And, and really, is that your place? Are you here? Are you here to, uh, to uh, fix people? Am I here to fix people? Who are we here for? Who do we serve in the body of Christ? All right. Now, if, if verse 7 sat all by itself, we might have a debating topic here this morning. But it doesn't sit by itself. We have verse 8 that goes with it. See? Because there are folks that that will um, that take a different conviction of the pearls before swine imperative that Jesus gives, and the which is Matthew seven six, which I place in complete parallel to Proverbs nine verses seven and eight, and and they will dispute it, and they've said so to my face. They said so well. Uh, they think they said I think you're wrong in in how you're applying that, and say all right, well, um, apply it how you will. But in my conviction, this is how I apply it, um, and, and the reason why is because I think the imperative of do not reprove a scoffer is 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 plain. Don't do it. All right, you're not here to do it. That's not your role to do it. When uh, when they've when when the Holy Spirit's been working in the heart, when they've been convicted, when they've been humbled, when they've been uh, you know, when they're ready to hear the answers, they're not going to be scoffing anymore. Okay. <clears throat> when they've come through the ringer when they're finally hungry for real answers they're not going to be scoffers anymore and then oh yeah answer every question they've got after that Okay, but so long as they're scoffing um, that's not my realm do not reprove a scoffer he will hate you reprove a wise man and he will love you there's a contrast so uh, you're not here to reprove the scoffer The the wisdom the wise man who's the wise man well, the one that has life and is proceeding in the way of understanding. We would say in the church age, we would say a fellow believer in the local church. All right, Your brother or your sister in Christ right here at Austin Bible Church. This is our venue for the one another imperatives of the New Testament. This is our venue for the application. All right? And I want to be very cautious. I, I, I maybe go extra overboard okay? as a pastor. I, I don't want to diminish... Um, a believer who's in a church somewhere who's learning something from their pastor, you know, and, and even if they're learning something and I think, eh, that's not how I teach it. I still, I say, you know, God bless them. They're, they're in a church. They're learning from their pastor. I, I wish there was more. <laughs> you know, I'm delighted. I go, Oh, is that, is that what your pastor was preaching on on Sunday? That's amazing. I'm stunned that you even remember because it's Thursday already. And most people forgot what the pastor was preaching on Sunday. That's, that's, that's amazing. You know, and and and, you know, Lord bless them. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I I disagree, but I'm not going to sit there. I'm not going to tear down their pastor in front of this this sheep. I'm not going to I'm not going to rip them to shreds and say, "Are you kidding me? That's that's not the right approach." Here's the here's the exegesis. Here's how you got to fix it. Here's blah blah blah. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not here to do that. All right. Let's look at Matthew uh, chapter seven. Matthew 7 in a chapter that has more than one verse okay, although you wouldn't know that based on the way people quote it and use it um, they'll, they'll just unbelievers that hate God, that hate the Bible they'll quote this verse at you judge not lest you be judged and and you know they smack you upside the head with it like it's uh, the, the beam that's in your eye or something and and This is a chapter that has more verses than just verse 1. And there's a full uh, context in these verses that applies to Israel and the tribulation and the millennium, and you and I have secondary application in the church, and uh, the aspects here. And in terms of ministering to one another, in terms of self-evaluation so that we can get the beam out of our eye, then we can see clearly... We cannot serve our, our brother, we cannot serve our sister if we can't see clearly, so we've got to self-judge first. And if we once we self-judge, then we judge our brother by the same standard. So we're not hypocritical. All right. I think uh, the, the people that, that will preach at you with this judge not lest ye be judged thing, they want you to leave the, leave the beam in your own eye, leave the speck in their eye, just leave them alone. They're going to do what they want to do. And don't tell them they can't. See, they uh, certainly don't want you to see clearly and take the speck out of their eye. Anyway, and then it's in that context then that we have the do not give what is holy to dogs. All right. And uh, other passages where we're told to beware the dogs. Okay. Do not throw your pearls before a swine. Now there's a metaphor in this and we have to identify who are the dogs and who are the swine. And, and dogs are not swine. There's two categories. Anyway, they are not entitled to what your brothers and sisters in Christ are entitled to. They're not entitled to what the children are entitled to. And Jesus dealt with it the Syrophoenician woman. And all she wanted was some table scraps. Can can get a crumb that's fallen off the table kind of thing? She said, Lord, I don't know a dog. But, you know, dogs get scraps. And uh, we, have, uh, we have the principle there. So do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before a swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. They won't value the doctrine that you're blessing them with. They won't esteem it. They won't value it. In fact, all they're going to do is just turn and attack you. They're not entitled to it anyway. And so returning back to Proverbs 9, we have these imperatives. And I, and I think... The imperatives are given for a reason. And I understand you may be willing to suffer for Jesus. as great. Okay? The, the argument that I've heard to reject this doctrine is to say, well, um, I'm willing to, to receive the insults. I'm willing to be reproved. I'm willing to be uh, attacked. And, and uh, you know, I'm willing to suffer for Jesus so my reward in heaven will be great. No, your reward in heaven won't be great because you're disobeying the command. See, and there's plenty of other insults that you're gonna get anyway. You're not you won't be short of insults. You will not have a an insult drought by obeying this scripture. The fact is, though, is that you're heaping additional unnecessary attacks beyond what's already been designed for you in undeserved suffering. Alright? And I think that becomes a significant principle as well. See, the essence here is teachability. If they are not teachable, then you're not going to teach them. It says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Isn't that amazing? The world hates that. I'm constantly hearing this. Absolutely. The grumble, mumble, moan, 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 the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. The wise get wiser? How about that? And the fool gets more foolish? And how about the one who got the one, has it taken away from him, gives it's given to the one who has ten. So now he has eleven. And the one who had one has zero. Okay, that's biblical. That's eternal reward. That's Jesus Christ rewarding faithfulness. That's Jesus Christ disciplining the slug in uh, the age of Israel and in the church age. Anyway, um, so the issue here is teachability. When I'm looking at verses 10, 11, and 12, We have a principle here of teachability. All right? The essence of wisdom is teachability. The essence of wisdom is teachability. And under that teachability, then, the wise man is going to appreciate the correction. The essence of wisdom is teachability. So give instruction to a wise man. And you identify very quickly who's the scoffer and who's teachable. Who is willing to receive it and who's scoffing at it. Who's humble before the word of God. And that's a delight. Absolutely. And so it's, it's kind of, it, it, it's a remarkable scale when we, when we think about the babe, the adolescent, the mature, right? We've got diagrams for spiritual maturity, and at every level, don't don't just think that it's only at the mature level that the believer um, begins now to finally have wisdom. No, there's wisdom at every stage. The babe can walk in wisdom and needs to walk in wisdom at his level. Don't confuse wisdom with understanding. Right? All these separate terms that we're learning in this chapter, in this in this book, we'll have more in, in chapters ten through 12, uh, twenty-four. All right. Will it be spelled out? Wisdom, discernment, understanding, knowledge, insight, all these expressions. And if the essence of wisdom is teachability, then a babe who was just saved this morning can be very teachable, can hunger, can long for the pure milk of the word, can be humble, can be teachable, can have the wisdom, all the wisdom necessary for where they are in their stage, in their stage of growth. Because they're teachable and actually an older believer can depart from wisdom and he can stop being teachable okay it's hard to quantify it's hard to we want to we want to give it a score you know one to, on a scale of 1 to 10 like who who made up that scale but okay on a scale of whatever right what happens if the if the the younger believer actually can have a a more consistent wisdom than an older believer that's departed from the ways of wisdom because they have a knowledge that puffs up and they've drifted in the love that edifies. And so on the basis of that, I think, in the the descriptions of wisdom for uh, Solomon's case, for example, he was off the charts. On a scale of wisdom, uh, you know, 1 to 10, Solomon was a a 20, right? Solomon had more wisdom than a human being could typically have because God infused it into him. And then he departed from it. He corrupted it. Satan corrupted his wisdom. Corrupted is wisdom by reason of your splendor, it says in Ezekiel twenty-eight, and so uh, we have uh, different principles there. No, the essence is teachability, and teachability appreciates correction. See, pride is what rejects correction. Pride takes a, takes it personally if something is being highlighted wrong. You know, you're doing that wrong. Well, who are you? Says who? I'll show you. Right. You know, and whatever it is, you know, you know, that's, that's the role of a, of a drill sergeant, to train you and to highlight what you're doing wrong. And you're not shooting right. You're not breathing right. Uh, you're, you're laying down there in the prone position, but you got the wrong eye closed. You know, that's your shooting eye. You got your off eye. And, and, and what are you doing? And you're not breathing right. And, uh, and so much of marksmanship, with a, especially long distance marksmanship with a rifle, comes down to your breathing, comes down to your breath control. Different aspects there. And then ultimately your heartbeat. The, the, the true snipers can, can time it with their heartbeat. And that's, that's a scary thing. Um, but the, the, the willingness to accept correction. When the drill sergeant, when the instructor says, you're not doing this right, you've got to accept that. And say, you know what, I'm not doing this right. When the Bible says you're not doing this right, <laughs> what are you going to do? Don't, don't argue with the pastor, argue with the Bible. Argue with God. God's the one that wrote it. This is what it says. And so the idea of teachability here. So teach a righteous man, he will increase his learning. Give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. I love that there in verse 9. And he'll just eat it up. He'll keep eating it up. they they just soak it up like a sponge. You know, you're teaching six times a week. Man, why aren't you teaching eight times a week? Why aren't you teaching ten times a week? Let's get some more. And so we have the, uh, the principles there. And the scoffer? No. They don't have time for that. That's a waste of time. That, that's, uh, that's, that's ridiculous. Who, who has time for that? Who, who would waste their time with that? That's the scoffer. We also have the consequences then. All right. And then verses 10 through 12. The fear of the Lord is the prerequisite. <laughs> the prerequisite, prosperous personal principle. It's the principal thing. And it's required. It is absolutely required. You know, the hardest thing is to translate this word. It's translated beginning, the beginning of wisdom. Oh, it's so much more than just a beginning. It is a prerequisite. It is prosperous. It is personal. It is the principal thing. It is the principle. It's the first and foremost. Without that, forget anything else. The fear of the Lord is the principal thing for the acquisition of wisdom, all right? It is the principal thing for the acquisition of wisdom. If you lose your fear of the Lord, why are you even here today, all right? Why are you even here? That's, I think, the the concept that goes into why we start with silent prayer at every Bible class. It's not only to rebound. It's not only to confess your sins. It is to check your fear of the Lord, to check that, yes, you are on holy ground you are going to remove your shoes metaphorically you are humble before the authority of the word of god the creator god of the universe is speaking today and he chooses to speak to you wow who am i (laughs) why am i even here the creator god of the universe is speaking and the fear of the lord that recognizes that uh, that i have no worthiness of my own my worthiness is christ that I am here in the name of Christ, I'm presenting myself a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and it's all because he's a God of grace. And so that fear of the Lord, it's prerequisite. It is the principal thing. And look at this, look at this description here. Start spelling these things out. I started to, and then I just said, well, they can do it themselves, right? List these things out. Look at every benefit there is to being positive to doctrine being hungry for truth for maintaining that fear of the Lord saying and this is the thing I, I, I get this I've had people and don't get me wrong um, there are weaknesses and shortcomings in doctrinal churches I'm aware of that <laughs> I'm very aware of that I, I am sensitive to that I, I, I guard against it I, I I strive to remedy things that I view alright but having said that, I also think that there are so many advantages and blessings, and, and there is such a, our, our hermeneutic and our methodology and our practices, I think are, are better than anything else you could shake a stick at, all right? Um, and so in, in the process then, of describing how doctrine blesses you, how it blesses me, how it shapes our thinking, how it drives our life. The love of Christ constr- controls us. Yes, but it's the love of Christ as the Holy Spirit communicates the word of God. Say the um And so I've had I've had people tell me, "Well, you pay too much attention to doctrine." Right? "I'm more about the love." Well, yeah, but it's the doctrine of love that equips you to, to live that love. All right? Don't mock the doctrine. Without the doctrine, you won't be applying the love. You'd be maladjusted. You're going to be misapplying what you call love, and it's going to be at total variance to what the Scripture defines as love. And I think it's that fear of the Lord. I think when, when a believer minimizes the authority of Scripture... They've come to, to replace their own norms. They think, well, I've learned enough. I know enough. I can now live however I want to live because now I'm really serving Jesus. And the problem is, is that we never stop learning. The day we stop and we've just signed our own, we just put the noose around our neck. We've just signed our own warrant. We are departing from wisdom. And I think it is, it is arrogance that departs from that fear of the Lord. So don't uh, and don't don't fall for that either or mentality it's both and we constantly be saturated in the word of god we we're constantly so as the deer pants for the water brook we are we are we want more doctrine more doctrine more doctrine we can't get enough and then through that then we live it out we live it out we love one another we serve one another and as i said before the one another is is us it's the body of christ at austin bible church we start there Okay. and then the body of Christ beyond Austin Bible Church and then the world Okay, so list these things out what are these benefits the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning and that's the term, it's, it's a tough term to translate, the, the different translations do different things with it, the beginning the foundation, the principal thing I think it's the prerequisite thing it is prerequisite if you don't have that, you don't get this that's prerequisite you can't have it. You, t- you can't enroll in a certain class in school if you don't have the prerequisite classes, you know, prior to that. So it's prerequisite. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, then you don't have the prerequisite. You will never have wisdom ever. It's the. It's the. Also, it's the prosperous thing. It's also the personal thing. You yourself personally must embrace this not just part of a corporate body see we are a corporate body but the corporate body is made up of individual parts and if your sister in the pew next to you is learning doctrine does that make you wise (laughs) right so teach a righteous man he will increase his learning uh verse 11 for by me your days will be multiplied and the years of your life will be added to you we've had this concept earlier to this is it not not only in terms of chronological age and adding literal days to your literal life but it also redeems the time and multiplies each individual day you have a day today that is far more productive than just 24 hours you have a productive day in wisdom that the fool doesn't have And so you redeem the time because the days are evil. You are using God's wisdom and you are laying up more treasure today, right, than most believers lay up in in a week because you're applying wisdom. He's multiplying your days. He's adding days to your life. See how that works? And so do you remember those old army recruiting commercials in the 1970s, 1980s, that they'd have these army commercials and it's all dark and everything and they're flying in helicopters and they're jumping out and they're running and they're doing stuff. And then they get around, and they get around a campfire, which was kind of dumb. I never had a campfire in the army. But they're sitting there and they're drinking their coffee. The sun comes up. The soldier says, good morning, Sergeant. And and the, the catchphrase at the end of the commercial is, you know, army us army we we get more done before 6 a.m than most people get done all day you know it was it was a neat commercial i I liked it and you know i just remember it as a kid and uh but that that concept about getting more done in a day is is the the thought behind this principle here of redeeming the time of multiplying your days of of making every day count for all eternity I mean, you talk about multiplying 24 hours into an infinite number that's what you're doing so for by me your days will be multiplied and years of your life will be added to you not only in quantity but also in quality the quality of life that you have your twilight years are blessings instead of cursings the uh the uh, aspects there. Spending time in a nursing home, and you know what I'm talking about. Folks with Christ and folks without Christ, and and there's some that just have the sweetest joy in the world, and there's others that are bitter and full of regrets and just the ugliest, darkest souls you ever seen. All right, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. There's a problematic verse. But that's why I say it's personal. It is prerequisite, prosperous, personal. Personal. If, if a sister next to you is growing, good for her, but you've got to grow. It's personal. You have to do the work. You have to accept the promises. You have to learn the principles. You have to live in the, in the Word of God. And it's great that she's doing it too. And so mutually you can both grow and you can reinforce what she's learning and she can reinforce what you're learning. You can strengthen one another, but you can't do the one another until you're individually, personally growing. Individually, personally growing. And that's why it says here, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. That's where it starts. It doesn't stop there, of course. You're not wise for yourself exclusively and eternally and forever. But once you are wise for yourself, then what are you going to do? Then you're going to be able to bless others and encourage others and so forth. This Again, we take this passage, we compare it to other passages, we put them all together so we have the whole picture. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Again, it's personal. The personal acceptance, the personal rejection of the Word of God. and uh, And different things there. Okay? So you are wise or you're scoffing. What is your attitude towards doctrine, towards the Word of God? All right. Then we get to the final section. Verses 13 through 18. This is point four in the outline and the last point, although we've got several subpoints to deal with here. All right. Verses 13 through 18, the, the parental wisdom section of Proverbs concludes with one final glimpse of the woman of folly. One final glimpse. How many times have we seen this woman? She was called a strange woman. She was called a foreign woman. She was called, uh, there were all kinds of labels for her. We finally get a term that I'm, I'm using as a personal name. I'm, I'm adapting this passage like I adapted Hillel Ben Shachar for Satan in Isaiah 14 or Chotham or Tachinoth in uh, Ezekiel 28. We've got different names, personal names for Satan based upon the Hebrew text. Likewise here. Uh, and uh, this woman, this um Kissiluth, I just like it because it, um, it sounds silly. <laughs> all right? And because it sounds silly, it's memorable. And that's all it takes. If it's memorable, then it's edifies, okay? And if uh, if I call her kissy-luth, then, you know, kissy sounds kissy, you know, like, you know, kissy, yeah. man and a woman, and you get kissy, all right? You don't want to get kissy with the wrong woman. And you definitely don't want to get kissy with Asheth Kissy Luth. All right, I'm going to spell these out for you here in the subpoints. But here's this uh, kissy woman. And it, it, i got to say, it's a feminine form of, of the term for fool that we had back in chapter 1, the Kasil. All right, uh, just add the ooth, the Luth ending on Kasil, and you turn it from a masculine to a feminine and aspects there. But the woman of folly is boisterous, rowdy, loud, tumultuous. Plenty of uh, uh, you can look at 20 different English Bibles. You get uh, a bunch of different translations, and, and every translation has to do with volume, okay? The noise factor of this loud, brash, boisterous woman, and uh, and we'll talk about. It. We have got to talk about that. Is it, is it is it a personality issue? All right. Is it is it insulting to to women of a certain volume? All right. And it's not. Don't quit looking at one another. All right. It's. Not, I'm not preaching to people in this room. All right. And we'll talk about the difference between the heart and the uh, reflected behavior, the mannerisms, the mannerisms. All right and i think it fundamentally comes down to the designed nature of men and the designed nature of women and the designed function of masculinity and the divine and the divine function of femininity and it comes down here to the usurpation of the masculine it's what happens here it's fundamentally it's the it's the fruit of militant feminism all right and and turning women into the dogs that unbelieving men are and it's the um it's the aspects there okay so i got a lot of preaching to do <laughs> and by the end of it i should hopefully offend everybody and uh teach this accurately as it applies to what god has designed what god has designed for the male function and the female function male and female he created them i still preach that all right We live in a generation whereby, you know, choose you this day which gender you feel like, all right? But the Bible says male and female, he created them. And that's what we do in the image of God. And uh, we'll have to deal with it here. All right. So the woman of folly is boisterous, loud, masculine. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Come on, it's going to be fun and we can't get caught. There's never any consequences in her worldview. But he does not know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of shale, all right, and so we have one final glimpse, and pretty much everything that is in this section we've had before we've had it in chapter four, we had it in chapter five, we had it in chapter seven, had a very lengthy development in uh, in chapter seven, and we have we have it here, all right all every reason why uh, you want to guard against this immorality. You want to guard against this snare and, and, uh, and the issues involved. And so it gets rehashed. All right? And I love that. I love the redundancy. I love the repetition. I love the nature of God's warnings that he, that he gives to a young person again and again and again and again and again. Even the final word, the last thing said at the end of chapter 9 before moving on to a new section in chapter 10. You know, it's like uh you're raising a child you're raising a child you have a teenager in the home and then you know and you're 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 preaching the divine norms and standards you're preaching the text of the word of god and then the day comes and they move out and they get a an apartment of their own or whatever they're doing or they get married or whatever and what's the last thing you say to them the very last thing you say to them as they're leaving well what's the last thing they say here okay it's the warning and become because clearly, when you depart, there's a, there's a benefit, there's a protection, there's an umbrella, there's a spiritual value of having parents. Right? But then when you step out, you know, I remember thinking, woo you know, I'm now my own sovereign God of the universe. I am now my own sovereignty. There's no more rules except my rules. Okay? I don't have a bedtime anymore. How late do I want to stay up? And then thinking, you know, I've got to be at work at 5.30 tomorrow morning. I don't really want to stay up till these ungodly hours. All right? All right. So let's deal with it. Um, I'm giving her... The, let me introduce you to Ashef. Let me introduce you to Ashef. And I'll, I'll just give you subpoint A and then we'll introduce it and we'll kind of save it for next week. Her name is Asheth. Okay. Asheth is is a, a construct form of Esha, woman, right? Adam said this is now Esha because Adam was Esh, he was the man. And um, Esha was his wife. And so an Asheth is a woman of, okay? And you have a woman of folly. Uh, or a woman of excellence, okay? A woman of wisdom, a woman of folly, a woman of, of whatever. And so when you put the of, and then you define it with a descriptor, well then that's what you have here. And in this case, the descriptor is a feminine, uh, Kisiluth. okay? And in the transliterated K-I-C-I-Y, Kissy, L-U-W-T-H, Luth, okay? Kissy Luth. And I don't know any Luth. Like Lucy maybe, or if girl names that sound like Luth, Luth uh, Luthian or, no, that's Tolkien. Luthian or um, Lucy, I guess, is the closest we have for Lu- Lucille. Yeah, i got to be careful. Lucille is kind of like Cecile, and, I, and then I just insult that church member. But you picked a fine time to leave me. Kissy Luth. Cassiluth that's right anyway Asheth Kissiluth she is rowdy she is naive she does not know anything and the worst part is is she thinks she knows everything That the tragic part of this kind of rowdy arrogance is that they don't know what they don't know and they assume that they know better than the people who really know all right such as her father her parents the authority that she should be under all right, you know the pattern is you leave father and mother, you cleave to one another, the two become one flesh. The idea is is that you have the authority of the parental umbrella and you leave the authority of that parental umbrella when you become one flesh, say and of course that too is arranged by whom? the parents. In the arranged marriage structure of the of the uh, ancient world, okay, so am I advocating we return back to arranged marriages uh probably <laughs> okay it's a lot better, you know they learn to love one another as they honor their father and mother they um I well, don't want to get me going on that um, needless to say, the Bible knows nothing about the Swinging single, sex in the city lifestyle of modern America. All right, the Bible knows nothing about two broke girls and, and living in the, their own apartment in whatever. Okay, or what are some of these other shows? I, I should know all of them. How I Met Your Mother, or um, any of these shows. They're popular. All right, Friends. Right isn't friends, it's all about these singles and whatever. All right. Look what she's done. Look what this woman's not done. We'll talk about this. She has not prepared a home. She's not hewn out seven pillars or even one pillar. She's not prepared a meal, a wholesome meal. Yeah, she got something else some other activity in mind when the, when the knucklehead gets in there. Okay, um, She's not prepared anything sacrificially for the sake of the, the person that she's inviting. That's what Lady Wisdom does. Lady Wisdom has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her house. She's prepared her meal. She has sent out her maidens. And, and everything is just the direct opposite of Lady Wisdom is kissy loose. Okay? Isheth Kisiluth. She has not prepared a home. She has not prepared a wholesome meal. She does not lead maidens. That's a huge role. Read Song of Solomon sometime and see how many times that Shulamith speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem. Look at how many verses in Song of Solomon are directed towards the daughters of Jerusalem. She is crying out to those maidens, to the virgin daughters of Jerusalem Do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases. That is a huge ministry to the maidens, to the virgins of the king's palace. She is the living antithesis of prudence, knowledge, and discretion. She, not the, she is the living antithesis of prudence, knowledge, and discretion. That's what we'll pick up next week. See, fools despise knowledge and discretion. And we'll deal with this. This is what Kissy Luth wants nothing to do with. Knowledge, discretion. Okay? You know, the issues of modesty. Why does, why does the Bible encourage modesty? It's not just a, a, a Puritan uh, behavior stick to beat somebody up with. Modesty is a reflection of where the heart is. And the heart either has discretion or no discretion. And it's reflected in the modesty of the young man or the modesty of the young woman. All right? So we start with the heart and then the behavior follows. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the book of Proverbs. I ask for your wisdom as we continue to study. Thank you for laying these matters out, Father. And I do thank you in Christ's name. Amen.